0: I love videos like that and I hate videos like that. That's how you kinda know they're good videos, when you kinda love aspects of it and you hate aspects of it. Because again, it really kind of represents, I think, the struggle every one of us here should face. If you don't, you should, uh, you should struggle with this. How do we live this out? I, you know, I hear all the time, oh, great worship, oh, great sermon, and it's like, yeah, we'll see how great it is when it gets out there. That's really when it becomes great. That's really when it becomes meaningful, is when we get from in here to out there. This can all be great and wonderful and inspired, and you know, God can be glorified, and you know, God can move in a million, million different ways in here. It's out there that He really wants to move and to do and to accomplish His will, His purpose, His kingdom. And again, we've got to be willing to be a part of that. We're going to talk about uh, a parable today that really kind of speaks to this video, and it's just one of those parables. There's just certain things I wished were not in the Bible. The story we're going to focus on today is one of those stories I wished it wasn't in the Bible, but it is. And we're going to talk about that, because we got to, we got to deal with that, we got to speak to that every so often. So we're in this uh, series we've been doing called um, God's Favorite Stories, and we've been looking at a lot of the parables that Jesus told, because they're some of our favorite stories. We know them, we've heard them over and over, um, and so I want to look at a parable today, We're in this parable there is a dividing line between those who simply heard and those who heard and then acted upon what they had heard so if you got your bibles you can open up to matthew chapter 25 we're going to begin there in verse 31 if you don't have your bibles um, bring them with you next week Uh, until then you can kind of follow along uh, up there on the screen But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and this is the second coming of Jesus Christ, we've been talking a lot about that. There's a lot of things that are gonna happen when Jesus comes back. And Jesus is talking about something that's gonna happen when he returns. He said, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all of the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne as the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones, the sheep, will respond saying, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Oh, Lord, we would have recognized, we would have remembered that face. Lord, when were you a stranger and we showed you hospitality? Or naked and gave you clothing? When, Lord, why would you ever be in prison that we would need to visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left, the goats, and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for you, for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger. You never invited me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. And then they'll kind of make a similar response as the sheep, Lord, When? When when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I'll tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. Those words haunt me. Eternal punishment. But the righteous go into eternal life. And we get get buzzed up over those two words. Yeah, eternal life. That's wonderful. That's great. That's me. That's my future. That's my destiny. And we don't stop to think. There are people that are going into eternal punishment. We don't want to think about that. We don't want to talk about that. We're good with eternal life, but let's ignore, let's not talk about, let's not focus on this other issue of eternal damnation. Now, in this parable, you've got two basic divisions in here. You have the righteous and the unrighteous, and what separates them is what they did and did not do to those that were considered the least of them and it's it's not coincidental that Jesus uses the needy the poor the marginalized You have the reward of the righteous, which is eternal life. You have the consequences of the unrighteousness, which is eternal damnation. Like I said last week, these are intended to be shocking. These are things that ought to get our attention. They are things that ought to cause us to step back and really think and reflect and meditate on this. Where am I in this? Without question, Jesus believed there was a hell. And he believed it was eternal. And he believed there were people that would unfortunately, tragically end up there. That's shocking to me. Not that he believed that, but it's just shocking to me that there is that reality. And oftentimes, again, it's just, I don't know if it's just... The enormity of it, we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to give a lot of thought, time, or attention to it, but it's there. Jesus believed this. And again, the aspect of this this parable that just shakes me to my core is there were goats in this parable who thought they were sheep. That's troubling to me. That's hard for me to understand. I cannot get my mind fully around that concept that in this parable Jesus told there were goats in this parable who thought they were sheep. It's only until Jesus separates the sheep from the goats that the distinction, the discovery is made. And the only reason I say this is because they all recognized him and they called him Lord. Both the sheep and the goats, the righteous and the unrighteous, they recognized him. They addressed him. They called him Lord. That tells me Jesus is telling a parable, a story here. And he is making a point. There are those who thought they were believers, who thought they were Christians, only to find out they really weren't. Now, that isn't the part that shocks me. I mean, I think we've all, if you've been a Christian for any time, I think we've all accepted the general notion that there are people who think of themselves as believers, followers of Christ, Christians that really aren't. That's not a new, that's not a novel thought. I think we all think in general terms, yes. There are people who probably profess faith in Christ that really are not Christians. Rather, the part of this parable that is so unsettling to me, is I cannot imagine the shock on Judgment Day that there are people who think they are sheep and are gonna be divided out and identified as goats. There are people that when Judgment Day comes They're thinking they have been led to believe. They are a sheep. They're a Christian. They're a believer. The day of judgment comes, and they find out they've been deceived and misled. Now, again, imagine the shock. Take it out of the general sphere. Put it into the immediate. What kind of shock would you be in for if that were you or a loved one? Last week, we looked at the parable of the king's invitation in Matthew chapter 22. Again, notice what happens there, beginning in verse 11. But when the king came to look over the dinner guest, again, this is in heaven, um, is the uh, idea. He saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here? How did you come in here without wedding clothes? Look at the man's reaction. The man was speechless. He didn't know what to say. He had no response. Didn't think he had to have a response. I mean, talk about a wake-up call. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot. This is Jesus again. And cast him Into the outer darkness in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, notice the man's reaction to Jesus' question. How did you get in here not dressed in wedding clothes? Again, the man was speechless. He was shocked. He was dismayed by the discovery. Why? Partly as I read and reflect and meditate on that, I think the man thought he had a right to be there. I mean, don't you kinda get that implication in the story? He was there because he thought he had a right to be there, that he deserved to be there, that he had done what he needed to do in order to be there. And again, imagine the shock of this man finding out that not only do you not belong there, But the place to where you are going is in the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But again, we don't like to think about that, but it's there. And people are on that pathway. And there may be even some of you here this morning that are on that pathway. The other interesting and very troubling aspect of this parable, and I hate to even mention it, but it's there and it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that they recognized and called him Lord. They called Jesus Lord in this parable. And Jesus makes an even more shocking and an even more unsettling statement In Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. I've often said to me, this is one of the scariest Bible verses uh, in all the Scripture. Beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now what's interesting in the, in the parable of the sheep and goats, you could kind of maybe just say that's kind of more social justice type stuff. You know, feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, you know, that we kind of look at that and we have titles so that we kind of call that social justice. But look at this particular admonition. This is, you're starting to get into the spiritual aspect of this. This is where us born-again people kind of get really jazzed up over. But look what he says. Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord. Again, they recognized him. They called him. They they titled him, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, didn't we cast out demons? And in your name, didn't we perform miracles? And then Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, the implication here is there are those who will call, who will address Jesus as Lord, and he won't even know them. Th- these are people who have obviously done ministry in Jesus' name, and he doesn't even know them. Again, the implication here to me is Jesus seems to be referring and identifying people who have deceived themselves into thinking they are believers, followers, and in actuality, they are not. He doesn't know them. Now, to be accurate, this statement Jesus makes in Matthew 7 has a very, very important context. And I I like to be very intentional and very aware of the context, because oftentimes we can lift a particular scripture out to make a point that the context of scripture does not support. But this is very, very interesting before Jesus gets into that statement. I Look at verse 16. He, before he says that statement, many will say to me on that day, he says, you're going to know them by their fruits. You will know them. He's going to know you by your fruits. Again, in verse 20, in case you missed it before you got into the story, he repeats it again right after that in verse 20. He says, "So then, I'll start with this, I'll end with this just so you don't miss it. You will know them by their fruits." So Jesus said, "I'm going to know them not by the fact that they recognize and called me Lord, Again, that's important. And that, in a lot of times, is what we stress. Yep, if you know him as Lord, that's it. That's all you need. I, yeah, I wished it was that easy. Jesus said, you're going to know him, I'll know them by their fruits. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, do you realize that is the distinguishing factor? That is the dividing line. That was the criterion that Jesus used to separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Jesus does not recognize or reward them simply because they called him Lord. He divides the sheep and the goats based upon their fruits, their labors, their service, or the lack thereof to the poor, to the needy, and those imprisoned. And here's where the tension lies for me, and where I want the tension of this parable to lie with you as well. Oftentimes the church does a great job of getting people saved, and yet we present it sometimes like that's all there is to it. I remember one time doing a funeral for a man I did not know. I, I've often, probably most funerals I do are for people I do not know, have no relationship with. As I was meeting with the family to learn a little bit more about him, one of the family members commented, Dad did go forward one time at a Billy Graham crusade and he said the sinner's prayer. And come to find out that was like over 40 some years ago. And so the impression that it kind of created in my mind was, Dad said the sinner's prayer. He's a Christian, and he's going to heaven. Forty years span in between that profession of faith and his death. There was nothing else they could point to. As a matter of fact, there was so much that you could point to that kind of seemed to indicate that whatever prayer he prayed didn't have much of a result of life change in him. There was no other evidence that the family could point to that was shared with me in the context of preparing during the funeral that led me to believe that this man was a Christ follower other than some odd 40 years ago, he said a sinner's prayer. That's all he needed to do to go to heaven. That was the impression that was created for me, and it was the impression that was trying to be created at this celebration of this man's life. Really? And tragically, that is the gospel message in some quarters of the church today. Say a prayer. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Ask Jesus into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. That's all you got to do. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. Let me assure you, there is no one in this room that, that wishes I could believe that. There's no one in this room that wishes that were true than me. There's no one here more eager to want to jump on that bandwagon and believe that than me. And as much as I want to and I'm tempted to, it would be easier to, I can not reconcile that message with the Scriptures. I mean, passages such as the one I shared with you in Matthew 7 and the parable of the sheep and the goats. Look at James 2, beginning with verse 14. He said, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but has no works? And, and this is, again, this is not a, he says, can, can that faith save him? Now, now obviously, the answer to that is no. And and in case you missed that, he kind of goes on and he kind of gives a pretty straightforward answer to that. In other words, is it enough to just have faith? Is it enough to just say a prayer? Is it enough to just make Jesus Lord of your life? It says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, no fruit, is dead being by Itself. If you have faith, and faith in Jesus Christ is where it all starts, it begins there. It begins with saying a prayer. It begins with asking him to be Lord of your life. It begins with you asking him to forgive you of your sins. But if that's it by itself, eventually that faith will become dead, worthless, and useless. And in verse 20, James nails it again. Kind of tells you before he gets to that, and then he repeats it after he gets there just so you don't miss it. Verse 20, he says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works, faith without fruits is useless? Three times in the space of six verses, James stresses the need to have faith that is demonstrated, provable, and justified by works. It's also interesting that the works Jesus points to in the parable of the sheep and the goats and the works James points to uh, as a tangible working out of our faith, don't miss this, is in relation to the poor and the needy. And the reason I mention all of this and the reason why I want to spend some time talking about this because folks, the stakes in this are so high. They're too high. We cannot afford. We're talking destinies, eternal destinies. The stakes are too high. We cannot be misled. We cannot be deceived. We're talking heaven and hell here. Eternal destinies hang in the balance, and we've got to be faithful. We've got to be diligent in how we walk this out in our own lives and how we disciple others in this. Now, I know and I understand, and I've said it repeatedly, probably ad nauseum. I understand that my works play no role whatsoever in my salvation. Paul makes that abundantly clear in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Salvation is a free gift of God by His grace through putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So again, I acknowledge our works have no place, no value, no merit in us receiving God's salvation, but... It seems like they do play a very crucial, valuable, extremely important role in the way we live and walk out our salvation. Philippians 2.12 encourages us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do you realize it's scriptures like the sheep and the goat, scriptures like Matthew 7 that cause me to fear and tremble in the working out of my salvation? Scriptures like that just cause me and and see, maybe you're a sheep, and see, you don't have to think about that because you're you're the sheep. I'm the shepherd. I gotta think about this stuff, I gotta talk about this stuff because there may be sheep out here who really are goats, and they don't know it because they've been misled. My point here this morning is not only does this challenge me to look within. But man, I want it to cause you to look within as well. Because I can't judge your heart. Only God can do that. So again, the stakes are so high. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. New Living Translation says it this way. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. That's what he's looking for, the results of your salvation. God is looking at the fruit of your salvation Obeying God, that's the key, with deep reverence and fear. What exactly does all that that entail? There just seems to me to be a correlation, a connection between your faith and your fruit, which are the results of your faith. Now, it's interesting to me. Paul makes a statement that he makes in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Jump down to verse 10. What does he follow that up with? He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. They're not going to save you, he says in in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but let's get out on the table that, that good works are really a part of living it out. Says, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We got to live this out. That's the part I get to wrestle with. That's the part you get to wrestle with. How are you living this out? When we get saved, we become God's masterpiece, His workmanship. And in that relationship with God through Christ, we are now called and we are equipped. And I would say expected to do good works. Now, Again, that call to do something specifically good works. Again, it is evidence. It's a manifestation of our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus, in multiple places throughout the gospel, links obeying his commandments with loving him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me. One of the ways that love will manifest itself is you'll, you'll obey my commandments. A few verses later, verse 21, he said, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. Now, again, we can rightly argue The commandments Jesus is referring to here are the ones he gave in Matthew 22 when he was asked what's the greatest commandment in the whole law. Jesus said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He said this is the greatest, the foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said on these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. So you could summarize the keeping of the commandments as loving God and loving your neighbor. How is... Your loving God and loving your neighbor going to manifest itself. How is that going to become evident? In part, through good works, right? If you're thirsty, Jesus seems to be saying, one of the ways my love for him and my love for my fellow man is manifested by giving him a cup of water. If I find someone who is hungry, one of the ways my love for God will make itself evident and the way that it will become evident to my fellow man is I feed him. That's a work. Good works will be a part of how our love for God, our love for others will show itself. This is what was rewarded. This is what was commended in the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's the illustration, again, not by accident, that James used in connecting your faith with good works. If you see someone thirsty, hungry, naked, homeless, your love for God, your love for neighbor, your faith should show itself in some tangible way in meeting that need. I mean, that's really part of what the whole Praise Cafe was all about. For me, the Praise Cafe is about feeding the hungry. And that may be shocking to some of you because you thought it was about you. It wasn't about you at all. We just let you eat there. It's really designed. I'm I'm being honest with you. That was my whole target from the get-go. I love it. I love it. When the homeless, when the unsaved, the unrighteous, the ungodly, I love it when they walk through those doors on a Sunday morning and sit down and eat our food. I love that. I was talking to a guy this morning. He said, you know, this is one thing I, that just, that's just amazing. I said, I went to a church one time. He said, there there were a whole plate full of cupcakes. He said, I never saw so many cupcakes in my life. He said, I went to take one off the plate. And he said, the pastor came up to me and said, put that down. Those are for members only. Joel and Darla, who do our Praise Cafe, the day that ever happened, shut it down because we've lost the point of Praise Cafe. I'll tell you this, Wednesday, I hope we have a lot of paying customers, but I'll tell you what, if the hungry come, feed them. If the thirsty come, give them water. That's really what this is all about. That's what Jesus said. This is what it's really all about. The sheep seemed to be those whose faith was evidenced by their good works. And Jesus commended them, and he rewarded them with eternal life. I want every one of you in this room to be rewarded with eternal life. Because, again, the stakes cannot be higher. Because of this, we've got to be diligent. We've got to be willing to step back and examine our hearts. There are times, folks, I get so distracted by so many other things. There are times where the poor become a nuisance, an inconvenience to me. I've got other things to do. Can't you just go somewhere else? It's tough. It's hard. There are times I just don't know what to do with all of that. The only difference I can discern in Matthew 7 verses where there ap- appear to be good works and faith operating together, so I want to go back to this and I'll finish up here, because I, I just wrestled with, I, I'd wrestle with this all the time, and the only difference I can discern in Matthew 7 where there appear to be good works and faith operating together is there may have been more of a, of a devotion to the law than to the Spirit. So when Jesus says in verse 21, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now again, be honest. When you look at those verses that Jesus cites here, prophesying in his name, casting out demons, performing miracles, those look like good works. I'm like thinking, we should be doing that. We should be striving to do that in our our Christian walk. And yet Jesus says he never knew them in spite of all of the good works they were doing. Do you realize it is possible to do the things the Bible says to do and totally miss knowing Jesus? Did you know that's possible? The Pharisees were experts in that. And that was often why Jesus butted heads with them. They were experts in both knowing and doing the law of Moses, all 610 laws. And yet, over and over and over, Jesus says to them, You have totally missed God. And they were blinded to the realization that Jesus was sent from the Father as the promised Messiah, their scriptures told them to look for and to expect. They were more committed to obeying the law than they loved the one who gave the law or the one who was sent as a fulfillment of the law. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, there's this exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they're upset with Jesus because he does a healing on the Sabbath. Beginning in verse 37, Jesus said, And the Father who sent me, he has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you. These are goats. These are very religious people. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. Now get this, and he nails this right on the head. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And he said, and it is these scriptures, their purpose is to bear witness of me, and he said, and you are unwilling to come to me that you have life. Jesus, I think he's warning, he's advising them strongly, and us, it is possible to search the scriptures and miss the Savior. It is possible to do all kinds of religious, spiritual works and not know who Jesus is or be known by Him. You may know the name Jesus, but be a total stranger to the person of Jesus. I know the name Billy Graham, but I am a complete stranger to him. So we can search the Scripture. We can do all the Scripture's command like the Pharisees and yet still be a total stranger to Jesus. Jesus is telling them the Scriptures are there to point to me. They're a witness concerning me. And He's saying, you're missing it. There will be people on Judgment Day who have obeyed and done what the Scriptures told them to do and to be a total stranger to the person of Jesus Christ. That's Partly what I think is happening there in Matthew 7. People who were consumed with obedience to the Scriptures and missed the one the Scriptures came to reveal, the Savior, and Jesus advises them and us, there is coming a day where the nations will gather, all of mankind will be gathered together, and Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. My sense of the reading is there are going to be a lot of surprised goats who were deceived into thinking they were sheep, and the nature of deception is that it's such that you don't even know that you're being deceived. That's how thorough deception is. If you know you're being deceived, then it's no longer deception. I think this is the tension the people felt as they heard Jesus speak, particularly on this parable. This is the shocking nature of the parables Jesus told again. They were designed to shake people to their core and get them to look within, to examine their hearts. And I hope every one of us feels that tension today. I don't apologize for it. I hope this causes every one of us to wrestle with this. Don't just discard this. I hope we experience that tension at times throughout our walk with God. I think it's important to have those times, those moments where we just examine our hearts, take inventory of our lives, allow God to look within and expose any areas where repentance and change needs to happen. So do you have faith? Do you have faith this morning? Do you have fruit in your life? Bearing evidence of your faith. Do you have faith but no fruit? If so, I'm just going to tell you, that is not a good place to be. Because if that doesn't change at some point, and I don't know what that is, at some point, that faith will become worthless and useless and dead. The very faith you were counting on one day to give way to eternal life, get you to heaven, some of you are in for the shock of a lifetime that you're going to get there because there's no fruit attached to that faith, and you're going to find that faith died. It's dead. It's worthless. It's useless. You'll be like that fig tree Jesus cursed in Matthew 21, full of leaves, but no fruit. Faith without works is dead. If that's you, you need to repent, you need to renew your faith in Christ this morning, get filled with the Holy Spirit, and allow Him to start bearing fruit in your life. Or on Judgment Day, you're going to be in for one huge surprise and a horrific, horrific future. The stakes are too high. The lives that hang in the balance on this should cause us not to be too casual or passive in this regard. So let me just close. Let me just throw you a lifeline this morning. Jason said, how do you want me to close this? I said, that's your problem. Let me throw you this one lifeline. This is my lifeline. Jesus makes an amazing comforting, encouraging statement of truth in John ten four. my sheep hear my voice. I just got chills when I said that. My sheep hear my voice. A stranger, the voice of a stranger, they will not follow because they do not know his voice. If you're sitting here this morning and you're kind of wondering whether you're a sheep or a goat, Andy, let's just stay still. Let's just stay still. This is not a time for a lot of movement. Can you hear his voice? That's it. Can you hear his voice? He said, my sheep can hear it. If you can hear his voice, it indicates a level of relationship. If you can hear his voice, you know what? It's easier to be obedient to his voice. Oftentimes, see, we want to be obedient to the scriptures. We don't want to hear his voice. When you hear his voice, it's an indicator of a level of relationship that he wants to have with us. When you hear his voice and you obey, it's one, one of the benefits of that. When you hear it and do what he tells you to do, one of the benefits of that is it produces great fruit in your life. If you're wondering, how do I get fruit? How do I produce fruit in my life? Hear his voice and obey what he's telling you to do. The more you hear his voice, the more you do what he's telling you to do. I'm telling you what, the more abundant the fruit is going to be in your life. That's what you're looking for. Hear His voice, obedience, it will produce great fruit in my life. And that is what you're going to be judged on. Religion is me trying to do whatever I think I should be doing. That's what the Pharisees were doing. They they didn't know they were trying to do it all. They were trying to keep everything. And in the midst of trying to keep everything, they were breaking rules left and right. Religion is me trying to do whatever I think I should be doing, hoping it's the right thing to do at the right time in my own strength, hoping in the end it was enough to get me into heaven. Faith is, and faith with, an abundance of fruit and good works comes out of. It's produced through my relationship with him. Hearing his voice and being obedient to what he tells me. So it's a simple question, do you hear his voice? If you do, be obedient, do whatever he tells you to do and you'll grow more and more in your faith and your relationship with him and you will begin to produce fruit. And the more you hear, the more you do, the greater and the more abundant the fruit in your life will become. The bonus on that day, this is a bonus, this is kind of like icing on the cake. On that day as the nations gather before him, you will hear him say, come. You who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. If you don't hear his voice, again, I cannot judge that for you. This is one of those things you have got to judge yourself. This is one of those things you have got to look within and ask yourself that question. I cannot answer that for you. But if you don't hear his voice, make Jesus the shepherd of your life. Repent. It simply means turning to, toward His direction. Repentance this morning, if you don't hear His voice, it simply says, Repentance is, I want to hear your voice. I want to do what you're telling me to do. I want to do the will of my heavenly Father. I want to walk in the good works you have prepared for me beforehand from the creation of the world. I want to walk in that. I want to know you, and I want to be known by you. That can be your heart's cry this morning. And I'll tell you what, if it is, you'll start to hear his voice. I'm just going to pray this morning because I, I want, I don't want to resolve this for you this morning. Most messages where I create tension, I try to resolve the tension for you. And that's what a good sermon does. It creates tension. It resolves that tension. There are times, though, where really, really good sermons create an overwhelming amount of tension. And then you've got to deal with it. You've got to resolve that. Remember Jesus when he, in the prodigal of the parable, son? Remember he goes out and he engages the older brother. He says, look, you've got an option. You've got a choice here. You can either come in and celebrate that which was lost is now found, or you can stay out here and be consumed by your anger. That's the, I don't know what he does. It's kind of like Jesus just kind of creates this opportunity and says, you do with it whatever you feel you need to do. So I'm creating that opportunity for you this morning. If you hear his voice, be obedient. Do what he's telling you to do. And I guarantee you a lot of what he's going to lead you into doing will be with the poor and the needy, the marginalized, the imprisoned, the naked. We have a great opportunity on Wednesday. There are going to be a lot of people who need to be ministered to. What I want to do on Wednesday, I just want to be open to his voice. Father, just speak to me. If there's something that you're wanting me to do, a person you're wanting me to talk to, just tell me. And then I have the choice. Do, do I want to obey his voice? Do I want to produce fruit in my life? So that's the tension for us this morning. And you've got to resolve that tension. Do you hear his voice? If you do, Do what he's telling you to do. You'll produce great works, great fruits in your life. If you don't, repent. Turn toward him this morning. Just say, God, I want to hear your voice. And I'm just going to leave it there. Let's just bow our heads, and as I'm doing that, worship team can come back up on the platform. David prayed in Psalm 139, and he simply said this, search me, O God. Search us, O God. You know our hearts. Test us, examine us, try us, and know our every way. Point out, bring to the surface, let it come to our attention, anything in us that offends you. And Father, help us to turn from that and to lead us along the path of everlasting life. And Jesus, we thank you, Lord. You said this is the way to have eternal life. If you're looking for eternal life, this morning Jesus says, here's what it is. He said it's to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So Father, as we seek eternal life, Your word said it, 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 the only way to eternal life is to know you, the only true God, and to know your son, Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, for those of us who don't hear your voice, that are not on that path to everlasting life. God, as we turn your direction, as we look to you this morning in faith and trust that you hear us, you see our hearts, you know our intent, that, God, you'll hear that prayer. God, that you'll begin to speak that we would hear as a confirmation of our relationship with you. And then, God, just give us the wisdom, the courage, the discernment, the boldness to be obedient to what your voice tells us. And, God, in that, hearing and obeying, there will come great fruit. And that's what we're after this morning, for your glory for your kingdom, for your praise, not for our glory, not for our credit, for your glory to make you known among the nations. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.